can't believe you just made me laugh. <laughs> I'm gonna do the intro. Hello and welcome to Origami Unicorn, a couple of guys with the horn for sci-fi, half a planet apart, but still talking about it anyway. I'm Gaz Mitten. And I'm Pete Farmer. And we're so lucky to have our fantastical sci-fi unicorn, Ollie, here with us in the studio today. <laughs> Damn boy. Oof, careful with the horn. Pete, that'll make a lot of sense after when I when I put in some sound effects. Don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about it, my friend. So uh Wondered what you were talking about for a minute then. I was just full of surprises. Uh so Pete, it's been a week it's been a week since we uh laid down our first episode of Origami Unicorn. Uh so I've been hearing your voice a lot because I've been doing doing the editing. Uh sorry about that. It's gone all right. No, it's it's fine. I enjoyed it. Uh we had a couple of technical problems. I could, I was echoing and uh, checks to see if echo cancellation is switched on. It is. Okay, good. Um, and also, another thing I didn't share with you was that I tried to upload the uh, high, like, high quality WAV file to the podcast app. And it was, I think, 1.5 gigabytes. And it's like, the limit is 250 meg. <laughs> so I was like, oh shit. Because uh, it was quite long. But apparently, I just, anyway. I just I just did it as an MP3 and that was like 201. So I had a moment where I thought that, you know, we were, we were just going to be like too massive. We were just, we were just going to be too big for the podcast apps. <laughs> But it all worked out in the end. So how, how was your week, Pete? What have you been up to? Um, yeah, it was good. Uh, we finished watching... Um, what did I say that I was watching last week? The David Tennant, Stanley Tucci... Oh, yeah. Netflix drama. Yeah. And it's called yeah. Inside Man. Inside and that was, it was okay. It was okay. I It finished and I, like, I could watch Stanley Tucci tie his shoelace um <laughs> but uh i yeah we came away from the end and i just turned to my wife at the end and kind of said it's a bit of a weird show it felt like a pilot for like a a weekly um you know like a case by case sort of old school tv show it felt like a pilot for it like they're setting up the stanley tucci character um but i said to you last week that there were a few weird um sort of contrivances in the plot to drive the plot along a little bit and yeah uh they they actually were on in i'm not sure they were unintentionally funny because there were a couple in the last episode as well and it was almost like they were aware that it was funny but, but it, it wasn't it, like comedic by nature it felt no it felt a bit weird it felt a bit weird if right. i said to you it was more itv than bbc would that make <laughs> sense to you yeah, I've got it instantly, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, so like, I mean, like David, Ten- it was full of good people. It was full of, in- you know, good actors. And oh, I thought you uh, just meant like upstanding Paul... citizens. Yeah, they were all <laughs> by the book. There was no Ill- illegality <laughs> in the recording of the Perfect. of the show. Well, I mean, that's, um, and it's an odd thing to comment on, but good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like I like people to be you know 
Good people. That guy's a dick. I'm not watching it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but it was directed by Paul McGuigan, who has directed like Sherlock and stuff, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Lucky Number Seven, okay. I think, is the one that that comes to mind. Sort of had a ascendant Hollywood career at one point, but seems to do more sort of TV stuff these days. Um, and, and so like it was beautifully, it was beautifully lit. It was was well shot, but there were just a couple of moments, and it, and it had the biggest flaw I think of recent memory, like the thing that's become a big cliche, which is a character stepping out into traffic and then suddenly getting mashed by a bus or by a car for shock value, like a like a jump scare, and it's become kind of a a cliche. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that happening now. You know, the first instance of that that I can remember was oh, Six Feet Under. Do you remember Six Feet Under? Yeah. Like so, so, yeah, it was... Uh, a big, oh, big show that? that I sort of saw little bits of but didn't follow. And, and I seem I think, to keep saying that. There must, there's a lot I of TV. Know. Yeah. Well, it's quite a while ago. So we had, you know, we would have been in our 20s, I think. So we had better things to do in our 20s, Pete, than be watching television shows. I'm telling you, watching films, for instance. (laughs) 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 Playing video games. I'm telling you, it was was stacked, our social lifestyle. But uh, no, um, what was it it going with that? Yeah, six feet under. So the guy from Dexter, Dexter. Dexter, what, mm-hmm. what's that? What's that actor's Michael name? Michael C. Hall. Is it Michael C. Hall? Sounds right to me. Let's go with that. So it was his f- kind of first big kind of like show, and this was sort of at a time I can't remember exactly when this was. I feel like sort of turn of the millennium. Uh, you know, like it was sort of like a one of those um, for, like first like really it felt like a high budget TV show, like it felt like almost movie quality at times. I, I, it sticks in my mind. Yeah. But uh, where I was going with it, yeah, there's there's a scene where, um, I think it's in the first episode, his father's driving down the road and he kind of reaches over to light a cigarette or something, do something in the car and just gets sideswiped, just taken out, out of nowhere. And it was so shocking at the time. And, and another one that I remember was... Um, a movie that I really, really like and nobody else seems to. Um, Meet Joe Black. Do you remember Meet Joe Black? Yeah. I actually I actually really enjoy that movie. And um, yeah, Brad Pitt's character gets like hit by a car, I think, out of nowhere in that one. Uh, those are sort of some of the earliest examples of that that I can remember. But you're right, it's become a bit common. A bit overused, maybe now. Yeah, so uh, we started watching Blackbird uh, on your recommendation. Jess and I, my wife and I, uh, able to agree on on that one. We like we like anything that's sort of like yeah, a little bit like crimey investigators trying to figure out what happened, did he, who done it, kind of thing. Um, mm. Also, as you said, it's based on a true story, which is always e- an easier sell for for me with Jess so uh, yeah that's really good Taron Egerton's really good in it actually I wasn't sure mm. of his character at first just because he's such a 
is such a like former college jock douchebag character right and then the first episode i'm like ugh, this is what i gotta watch but he really does some interesting things with that character as you know the story progresses and is in jail and you know being that guy in that environment and uh being the son of a cop as well and um wow yeah oh what's his what's his father is Ray Liotta. Uh, thank you I, that just went out of my head yeah yeah god rest his soul I, that's recently. his last performance hey yeah yeah and he looked rough in it and i didn't know because i'd forgotten i think like it's terrible to say but I'd, I'd forgotten that he'd passed i think it was in may this year and um hmm. they had like a uh a, a tribute memorial thing at, at the end and i was like oh my god yeah, yeah i forgot that he passed um yeah and, and watching it he does not look he like a look well, well man i'm not sure yeah and i was like man i don't know jesse i was saying to jess actually like i don't know if he actually looks that unwell or if that's like hair and makeup but uh yeah poor ray great actor uh Lost to us this year. Uh, he's really good in it too, actually, and and yeah. maybe that 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 weariness because he plays like an unwell dad in it. You know, maybe that uh, real life kind of seeps it into that. I'm sure it informed the yeah performance. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Anyway, that's uh, that's what we've been doing this week, watching all kinds of television by the, by the sense of it we have so much time <laughs> i haven't done anything here. else i, mean, that's <laughs> I haven't, I haven't done any work or anything <laughs> nah work so um so we will uh we will get on with uh what we're we're, we're here to do because uh we did actually watch another episode of andor in there as well so uh without further ado we'll get into uh andor season one episode two that would be me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we open up to our lost boys and girls over on... Uh, I, I keep calling it Canary, uh, but it's Canary, I think. <laughs> so Canary Islands. Canary Islands. Over on the Canary Islands, the... The, the uh, gang of boys and girls uh, with the really good seamster seamstress skills are off to check out Jeff Bezos's crashed penis ship. They're, uh, the, if you remember in the first episode, uh, Pete, Jeff Bezos's rocket crashed <laughs> on this planet. <laughs> and, it's very uh, pointed Amazon critique, I thought. <laughs> I mean, they're in competition with Amazon Prime, aren't they? So, it's do you think that's what it could be? I'm... <laughs> no, of course not. But it's fun to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, our lost boys and girls are making their way through the woods, and they emerge at a great big hole. Uh, there's a massive crater. Uh, this is a di- we knew that. Canary was a, a defunct mining planet, right? We kind of learned that, I think. It was mentioned in the first episode. feel like it was. So I guess this is an abandoned mine. And 
Pete, we talked in the last episode uh, about kind of the, the realness, the kind of real quality of the locales in Andorra as compared to some of the more CGI stuff in some of the, the other more recent Star Wars uh, TV shows. This is CGI yeah. in all its glory, though. Uh, this this great big crater, this this big sort of sore on the landscape, and it is very dramatic. It the just the scale of it in all its CGI glory. It's it's pretty breathtaking. I thought I thought it was uh, quite an impressive scene when uh, when Andor the Young sort of happens across this this huge crater, and he kind of just as a little moment takes a second to breathe it all in. Uh, I thought he might do like a, a Star Trek Riker yell into the canyon. Uh, <laughs> anybody? Uh, that's, that's a deep cut Star Trek reference. But uh, he doesn't disappointingly. He just kind of stands there and takes it all in, which made me wonder, was this the first time he's ever been like out of the camp? Has he, has he seen this before? I did wonder, like, he kind of tags along at the end of the group. He's the last one to go to follow them through. And and it does seem like, I think in the first episode, it was maybe made clear. I'm not sure. I mean, they were speaking Canary and it wasn't subtitled, but my interpretation was that he wasn't supposed to be going and he sort of asserted himself and he, he was allowed to tag along. Yeah. So maybe it is the first time he's seen it. That That's strip mine was quite effective i think like for showing maybe maybe they got left behind when when after they totally um stripped the planet or whatever yeah do you think that's what uh, that's why it's only kids why it's just kids yeah maybe well the the adults were like well you know there's no more precious minerals to mine here let's let's leave should we take the kids and i don't bother We'll start over on another planet. <laughs> he like did this every six years. He goes to a new city and starts a new family. Like are shutting up franchises. I think they're they're already in the car. Like I've done that. We've all done that. I mean, yeah, they're already in the car. We get halfway down the road. Fuck. Well, you have four <laughs> children. I like I don't. The only thing I have to try to remember is like my wallet, and I can't seem to manage that. So <laughs> I have to do a head count. <laughs> It's a um, lot of people. It's a lot of little people to to keep control of. Pete, to yeah, be fair I mean, to you. Yeah. So leaving them alone on a planet that's been totally fucked over is understandable, as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I totally get it. <laughs> um, the strip mine, like it comes up later in the episode that they say something about um. It, it's like kind of prohibited, or it's toxic, or something, and it's off limits. Oh. Um, Missed that. And I, I don't know whether... I, this is what I was trying to work out, because this is the second time I've seen this episode. Um, I was trying to work out... it. We're just going to kind of leap ahead a little bit. Oh, I, yeah, you can. Yeah, Jeff, yeah, you can. Yeah, I'll, re, I'll rein you back in if uh, if I feel it necessary. If I get too far. I'll, go, I'll get Ollie to... I'll tie you to the back of Ollie, and we'll pull <laughs> you back to where we are. Carry on. <laughs> Um, so Jeff Bezos' ship has crashed and some guys have, have come out and they're kind of looking a bit jaundiced, a bit bit yellow, and they're wearing masks. There's yellow gas coming out of the spaceship, but it's not exactly clear whether they're sick from 
the spaceship stuff oh. or whether they're sick from being on the planet. Right. And so this episode, I'm wondering what's going on with Canary. Yeah, that's, um, that's They talk about a disaster or something. I'm pretty sure later on they talk about a disaster and then it was toxic and they're not allowed back or something like that. Yeah. I'll have to... Maybe we'll 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 catch back up with that maybe, but yeah, I, I think know. you're right. But the 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 image of the strip mine really looked like uh, the Solo movie, the Spice Mines of Kessel, which was like right. a long talked about um, location in Star Wars, and uh, was featured in like extended universe stuff, which is now I think it's Legends, um, so may not be like canon or whatever, but. But they brought it back for, um, for solo. Mining and Star Wars seems to be a thing. A lot of mining, yeah. a lot of mining going on out on them planets, eh? Well, I mean, like I guess you'd need to, wouldn't you, if you're building like a planet-sized death weapon? <laughs> That's going to need a lot of resources. <laughs> the spice mines in 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 solo, like. That's a, an idea that basically George Lucas lifted from Dune, where, like, Spice is, like, the the main drug of the universe. Spice is the variety um, of life. <laughs> that's what they say. Or something. Uh, and that, that's kind of referenced in the Obi-Wan TV show, actually. Like, he seems to be... He seems to... There's a, there's a part where he goes into, like, a, a, a kind of Breaking Bad type meth lab for spice <laughs> right which is quite cool um so i don't know what what they might what they what are they mining on canary who knows yeah and I, I hadn't put two and two together about the possibility that the planet was poisoning the 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 pilots that's uh or the the spacemen so that's kind of interesting uh i thought they were just all amazon car- amazon couriers who'd you know <laughs> Taking a nasty, <laughs> nasty hit in the fall, but um, I, I like those guys. Like I really like the look of those guys falling out of the spaceship, and then when he came, when he comes back and he's, he blasts the lead canary girl, there was something really pulp, pure pulp sci-fi about that image of a guy in like a skin-tight white spacesuit with a mask on, yellow skin, yeah, shooting, and he gets. All the blow the blow darts from the yeah from the Canary kids. That's an awesome scene. Yeah, and very yeah, yeah. I know I know exactly what you mean by pulp sci-fi. Like he's there blasting his his you know his his blaster at, into the into the woods and yeah, it's just yeah really really like nice a Frank Rosetta kind of picture. Yeah 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 yeah. It could be on the cover of a a book or something. So uh, yeah, we are getting ahead of ourselves, Pete. Though, so I'm gonna I'm gonna grab Ollie here and just tie the rope to your ankle and just uh, drag you back a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just want to say just back to the CGI-ness of that um, that big mine scene. Then it kind of cuts and he's and he and he has to uh, make a run up the side of the canyon to catch up with the other kids. And there's like this great big like massive circular saw thing and 
that that scene actually reminded me a little bit of like a video game like it reminded me of like tomb raider or something and i really want now and all the video game so i just wanted to throw <laughs> that out there uh but i thought that no i thought the cgi on that was like well used it, it's because they're not doing a lot of that in the in the locations so far anyway it's sort of you kind of got a lot of it's quite claustrophobic isn't it like the 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 little towns and the markets and stuff so when when he kind of they emerged from the claustrophobic setting of the woods and it was this great big expanse of this mine i thought it was really impactful so that idea of if they can if they can use it in that way uh i think that's going to be uh an impactful way to use the CGI as opposed to just using it for the sake of using it kind of thing. Yeah. There's a bit of that, this episode, I think like kind of, um, what do they call it? Like when they set up the location, the kind of scene setting shots. Establishing. Um, Yeah. There's establishing shots. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit of that and they use a little bit of CG. The director for this episode is Toby Haynes who um, I think, I don't know whether he was recruited by uh, Tony Gilroy or not, but he's kind of like the, he said that he's the Star Wars fan and that Tony Gilroy tried to kind of rein him in a little bit from some of his impulses to do Star wars stuff. Oh, but I'm I, wondering I, if... What impulses are we talking about? <laughs> just tried to get him in with his rain him stop in stop it stop that Don't, so, that's not so, so for a minute i was not going to watch it because he was not a good guy but uh right because you you don't watch anything like if, if that guy was just like <laughs> unless he's pure of heart if he was doing a lewis ck on on set then you 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 got wind of that there's no way you're watching that show right <laughs> that would be a bit of a deal breaker in fairness but <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be honest that shouldn't be allowed <laughs> Um, sorry, man. You were making interesting and insightful points, and I went straight to dick jokes. Um. <laughs> so I wonder, like, if if maybe some of those kind of big CG shots were his influence, kind of same. Just you know, a little bit more of that broader stroke stuff creeping in. Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't compared it enough to maybe the other directors and things to say, but. Yeah, felt nice establishing shots, for sure. Yeah, and and I think if, I, to me, it's a balance. Like, and it's okay. I I like the claustrophobic feel and the realness that we talked about uh, last episode. But I but I also love like seeing this really expansive shot, you know, and this real high quality CGI that was like whoa, just kind of made you go whoa. Mm. That's like that's really impressive. That's a really grand scale. And, uh, you know, Star Wars has always been big, you know, like to me, when I, when I think about it, like space opera, you know, I, I think you need some of that. So I think they've, they've mm. struck a really good balance so far. So it'd be kind of interesting to see as it goes on, if they maintain that balance or if it becomes a little bit more grand or if they stick with the, the more claustrophobic settings. Um, Pete, we get to about about four minutes in, and we get our first appearance of uh, what I'm calling the Ferrix Bell Ringer. You must have enjoyed this. I guy. thought you would like him. You must have enjoyed. <laughs> I this thought you guy. would like him. 
<laughs> pages and pages of notes about him. <laughs> I said I love love the end of the day bell. I mean, that's just my day job <laughs> as a teacher. I love the end of the day bell, but um, it, it adds to the weirdness of like Star Wars is always a bit weird. Yeah, like the cantina is always a bit weird, but it's also re- weirdly familiar, and that was really nice. I don't know what purpose it serves. It's cinematic. And I suppose it, it sets the scene of this kind of work, um, uh, work-centered environment, the industry of Ferrix, but it's just cool. It's like a call to prayer kind of in his little minaret. And, and he gets quite a bit of screen time. I think, I don't know what his name, he must have a name. I mean, everybody's got a name in Star Wars, haven't they? They're usually like minor characters like, yeah. you know, Jib Wankoff or whatever but like i'd be interested to know what what the bell ringer's name is yeah, yeah. i i didn't look it up and we, we probably should but um yeah it really it's really kind of a performance and uh it does as you say uh because it does come up later so it seems that he rings the bell he's ringing the bell uh for the the uh the end of the day is this one or is this the start of the day can't remember this is the end of the day cause... right yeah, at first I thought it was called to work, but it's like everything's shutting down. The guy in the scrapyard turns off the power, and everybody goes home for. Yeah, so this is your milk. end of the day, Bell. As a, and as a school teacher, I'm sure that's just a, a precious moment for you, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the great, yeah. the greatest sound. But with him, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Like I, I just kind of wrote down, you know, like we're we're in a high tech society with spaceships and robots. <laughs> They can't automate the bell ringing. Maybe it felt like kind of ritualistic. Yeah. It felt like maybe it was almost, there was a religious vibe to it. Like the, the work ethic in, in Ferrix is it's work is their religion. You hang your gloves on the glove wall and then you, and then you go home. (laughs) So like I, I liked it. I like it. It's world building, cinematic. It's world building. It's a lot of fun. Like this guy's like living out his like Thor meets Neo fantasies with his you know brandishing <laughs> I, two do you think hammers. That's his only job. I think that's brilliant. That's his only <laughs> job. His only job. Can you imagine? Yeah. And uh, you know he's so he's got these he's got his headphones on because obviously he'd get deafened if he didn't. He's got his two big hammers, and he hammers the bell. There's no giving that big metal bell is there like that's got to play havoc with the wrists this... <laughs> no, all can I can... you making a wanker <laughs> all i could think of was like when i was a, a a kid and i tried golf and uh you know if you if you if you miss swing a golf club and it hits the ground <laughs> where were you playing golf where were you playing golf where they did that <laughs> in like in like dungarees with nothing on underneath and <laughs> massive muscle golfers. <laughs> Listen, I played golf. It, it hit the uh, if if you if you stick. See see how see how good I am at golf. See how knowledgeable. If you stick, it's not even called that, is it's it? It's just it's if, a club. if this if the, that scene is making you think of when you played golf. I'm oh. worried about where you play golf. <laughs> oh right. I, I see what you get at. Yeah. 
it was purely it was purely the vibration that that feeling of you know what what must be uh, reverberating through those hammers <laughs> no yeah i mean you know you've been to where i grew up pete like <laughs> You can imagine what golf looks like in the in the Shire. It was a little bit Mad Maxy, but it was not. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's not in the middle of the the city, is it? Where I grew up. Oh my goodness! I've just googled him, and I think his character name is Time Grappler, but he's played by Neil Bell. I mean, oh, that is just perfect. They did that on purpose. <laughs> But time grappler, time grappler seems a bit. I'm pretty sure that's what it says. A bit grand. Yeah, he's not grappling for time. He's 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 worshipped. It's it's a religion for these guys. I'm telling you. Interesting. The time grappler. So obviously, this is like a position that's passed down from generation to generation, on Ferrex. (laughs) Generations of, yeah. Wrist ache. Time grapplers. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So he he basically uh, announces the the evening, and we get this uh, we we get this little sequence of of Ferrix. Is it Ferrix or Ferrix? Ferrix. Ferrix. I think it's like kind of iron influenced. So ah, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's uh it's evening is 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 coming in and you know we get this little uh sequence we see I think his name's Begler the guy who refused Andorra a ship in the last episode uh the guy in the flying helmet it's your first flying helmet of the episode Pete so I'm sure you were tickle pink at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's still there he's shutting it down for the night and we see uh Andorra's minor mate from the last step and uh this is where we get it's not just a glove wall i'm realizing it's a it's a room of gloves pete there's like oh, more the than whole, one. is it a whole room well there's more than one wall there's at least two walls of gloves that's a lot of gloves it is a lot of gloves <laughs> that's a lot of what are they handling there's a lot of handling going on in ferrix i have a lot of questions about the glove wall pete and i'm gonna ask them <laughs> So I'm hopeful that you have answered. I'll answer them as best as I can. (laughs) I think the biggest thing I was thinking as I watched it was that why is it just gloves? Like, it's the only part of the kit that they have to return. Is it like when you go bowling and you have to rent the shoes? Like, they have their own shoes. Jesus. You said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. So... So when you go mining on Ferrix, you've, you've got to like... you got to rent the gloves? Is there like a little person who's, who sprays a bit of like deodorant into them? Yeah. Do you, a droid for that. do you always use the same gloves? Or, or is it just first come, first served? Questions? I think in the first episode, was, was there a conspicuous absence of gloves? Because Andor should, Andor should have had his gloves in there, but he didn't. I felt like there was a spot where it was like, Andor's glove should be there. Andor's gloves. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much. Well, the, there was a like a, a naked hook, and it was because he his because gloves weren't present. He should have been there, but he was off 
buggering about murdering uh, corporate cops oh. on the di- on the industry planet. So that would imply own ownership of said gloves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, why did he take them with him? He wasn't wearing gloves when he was off doing that. Yeah, but he's a bit of a bugger, isn't he? So like, he's the type that like he he he'd stick the bowling shoes he in his bag. He's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon with the gloves. He's a maverick. He's a maverick. He's a maverick glove wearer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's going to be the name of the episode. <laughs> Surprisingly not in his uh, character description. Yeah, like, I think that's the first it, thing Ro- it says. When Rogue One came out, it was like, rebel, spy, and rogue glove wearer. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it says on his IMDb. So, so um, we're, we're, we cut to Bix... Uh, sorry, we see we see Cass kind of disappear down a dark alley, and then we cut to Bix. So I was trying to figure out where she was here because it's some kind of control room. Uh, there's looks to be some great big rocket launchers casually sitting on the wall, which uh, uh, wanted to see what you thought about. And uh, maybe it's some kind of heavy equipment mining stuff. I don't know, but it, they look like bazookas. Uh, and she logs into her. 1970s monochrome computer that all new science fiction shows that that you know came from something that was made in the 80s are stuck with aren't they <laughs> like this uh this is... i love it though i love that retro future um yeah I, I love that at least then you're not having to like come up with new fancy stuff like um I wrote. I wrote down. I love the retro future seventy stylings. Um, later on, we get a, a glimpse of their kitchen, which which was particularly pleasing for me as a mid century modern fan. It looked like a kind of Swedish seventies, uh, you know, interior design <laughs> catalog or something. It was beautiful, beautiful kitchen. And we see a lot more of that in the show. It's it's brilliant. No, it's. I love, don't get me wrong, I love the aesthetic. It's just sometimes, you know, it's the same with like the alien universe. It's like you're watching these messages type in a letter at a time on a on a, on a green monochrome screen and you're thinking, they can fly through space. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but it is fun. I know Trek has had some like, because uh, I've got to bring it, you know, Trek's got to get a mention every episode. Um, and they've had some issues, not issues, but like they, they've kind of, you know, brought in at one point, they brought in like hologrammatic, uh, you know, communications, whereas it was always like a screen before, you know, they were bringing them up on the screen and I think they've kind of gone back and forth on it. They've had trouble that, I mean, they've got the same problem, right? Like the the thing that springs to mind is the DS9 Tribbles episode yeah. where they go back. And, I mean, it's great. Sort of, it's fun. But it's also quite jarring. Yeah. The the difference in technology, being confronted with that difference in technology. And I don't know how you feel about the Kelvin timeline movies, but, like, I, I kind of, I like the uniforms and everything else was, like, I, I, it's tricky. They were trying to meld stuff, I think, from maybe like the motion picture kind of tech 
yeah. side of things. But um, it, it's definitely hard when when your original show was like cheap ass budget cardboard sets, yeah, um, or MDF or whatever it is. Uh, it it's hard to to balance the two. I like I think going back to Alien, they've had the Alien prequels, and um, they've had the Alien, the Prometheus, and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of that tech looks, I mean, because it's a modern movie and they're trying to make it modern and stuff. Some of that technology, you compare it to like Alien, and you think, whoa, what happened? I know mm-hmm. it's they can get around it and say, oh, it was like in a top-of-the-range experimental ship that... Um, but, yeah, yeah that, that's always going to be a thing. And it's hard, isn't it? You've got to balance it. it. Star Wars benefits from the fact that kind of it's got that sort of... Um, it's all that way. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and you can just get away with it. Yeah. And you can have, like, a, I don't know, a piece of stylish 70s danish furniture and pretend that it's high tech where whereas i don't know about star trek star trek seems to have gone like modern and then struggled with the balance between its history and that gone modern that's the problem i because i always refer to uh star trek sorry star wars as being the future but it's not is it it's a long long time ago yeah I, technically science fantasy rather than fiction i guess uh, yeah yeah it's always interesting but, is that bit yeah i know like not to belabor this too much but uh star trek discovery they seem to sort of throw caution to the wind I and mean, the funny thing about that was that was kind of set before the original series and they had this insane technology where the ship could like spin around and just appear somewhere so they had to like write in a reason why that technology went away <laughs> they literally did have to like write that into this the series as to why captain kirk didn't have access to that technology so yeah it's tough when you're bouncing around on timelines and when when yeah all the all the tech aesthetic that's developed in your universe was developed in the 70s and the 80s and, and in star trek's case the 60s so anyway uh, her, her IBM 2000 oh. <laughs> that was a tangent <laughs> tangents ladies and gentlemen origami unicorn <laughs> bringing you tangents uh, so yeah uh, she she taps into whether or not it's the latest technology she's able to get what she needs from this uh, this computer and she looks quite devastated by what she reads um she looks a bit surprised. Uh, presumably, we we you know at the time I was thinking, well, that's probably Cyril's bulletin about Cass being a wanted man. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim, the man who makes you go, mm, uh, the Scottish mm-hmm. love interest. He he has, he comes in asks her out on a date. Uh, uh, she says she's tired, which we all know is. Uh-oh. is woman code for yeah. <laughs> I'm just fucking tired man leave it <laughs> well see that's what I wrote down I wrote uh oh and then she says something about a promise there's a promise of fun later or something so I, I'm, I'm I'm mad for Tim this episode Tim I'm mad for him he just can't help himself you feel bad don't you for him Um. 
oh, you know, a little bit. Is that what you were saying? Or are you yeah. not? Yeah. Because I, I actually... Tim, well, Tim, 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 he could have had it all. He could have had it all and he blew it. <laughs> to me, is uh, No, but she's stringing him along, isn't she? Like, there's no... And I think deep down she, she knows shake, it. And that's... She can't shake Andor. She can't shake Andor. And, and neither can Tim, really. And that's Tim's problem this episode. Yeah. That she she can't shake him, but she, she can't live with him. She can't live... She can't... There was a reason her and Andor aren't together. Because he's a rogue glove wearer. He just... He, he takes his gloves wherever he likes. Yeah. And, and she's had to learn to live with that. And now she's settling with old Tim. Nice but dim. And... It, it it's it's harsh she settled in for Tim but you know I would be happy with that if I were you Tim but he just can't help himself he just pushes it it's hard in it to be that guy who you know you know that you're not the first choice you know I I, I was in a situation yeah, like that in high school about it. <laughs> you were yeah I was I was in a relationship like that in high school I re- and I remember what that feels like you know and and for for him, yeah, I think he so desperately wants to be that the man, the guy, but deep down he knows that he's not, and that all all he'll ever get to be is the booby prize, the set the the thing that she settles for. And I think on the on the flip side, I think for Biggs, really she's just using her feminine wiles to to get what she needs, isn't she? Is that a bit harsh? I don't know. I I I don't know. I think it. I think it's in Tim's head. I think it's in Tim's head, and he's he's too he's too in his head. He's let it get to him. Yes, she can't. She's got a thing. She's fond for for Cass. We all are. Um, <laughs> but I know like, I am. She's let him go. She's she's let him go, and that's the thing. And she comes back to Tim. Like I, oh Tim, 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 what are you Tim. Doing, man? So anyway, she came back. Yeah. Whether she's drowned, she's trying to forget Andor by. It, it felt a bit like she's trying to forget Andor by, going all in on Tim. But, I don't know. Anyway, he can't help himself. And then, we meet. Yeah. So so um, basically, yeah. But Tim Tim, because he's you know. Uh, just so unable to stop with the stalking of his missus. He goes and checks the computer and we get this confirmation that, yeah, Primor Authority is seeking a Canary Mail, etc., etc. So, you know, now Tim is aware uh, that uh, that the, the Empire boys are out for, for Cass. Um, and, the, you know, this message encourages any citizens with information to contact Molana Security HQ without delay. So uh, we all know what's on Tim's mind now. Uh, but as you say, now now we get to see uh, Cass coming home. Uh, he lives with his mum and, and be the emo robot. Uh, so we get to we get to see what his home life is like. What did you what did you make of this? Oh, look. This cast is so stacked. Um, I didn't know that Fiona Shaw was going to be in it. And so when she turned up, um, I was really excited. I think she she is 
bit of a, a legend at the moment, um, a bit of a national treasure. Uh, she's audiences, I guess, will know her from Killing Eve. If you've watched Killing Eve or Fleabag, um, we're in the middle of a Fionnaissance <laughs> at the moment, and uh, she's cropping up everywhere. So, uh, like, I'm really pleased to see her. Brilliant. And and she's amazing. Like, she's amazing. I think partly, probably, I can imagine that the reason Diego Luna is has chosen to do this is so that he gets these kind of two-hander scenes with amazing actors. Um, there's another amazing actor crops up later on who he gets to play off as well. But it there's this great scene which feels really kind of like a a stage play, like a two-hander, where um, they mention people that we don't know and it doesn't really matter because it's how rich their world is. And you really get a feel for what their relationship is like. And it's two amazing actors just going at it, which is good. Yeah. No, it's a really it's a really good scene. So so essentially, uh yeah, she knows that he's in trouble. Uh, she's seen the uh, the bulletin. Uh she has uh she kind of plays it coy with him at first. Oh, you know, have you what have you been doing? Yeah, everything all right, is it? Yeah, yeah. I think we we <laughs> we've all been in this situation where we were younger with our mothers, you know. They know you've been up to no good and you come home. Oh, yeah. You have a nice day at school, did you? Yeah? Yeah? Well, I know you were bunking off. I know you were behind the bike and smoking. <laughs> Clip right the ear. Uh, that's what it really feels like. Uh, she has she, she she makes the robot read out the bulletin, too, which I, I thought was uh, a bit a bit harsh for uh, making, making B the bad guy. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, th- then they have this, as you say, just a masterful exchange where their acting chops are just right there to see really really good uh until emo mentions bubba bix he's got such a starming a starming a charming stammer stutter uh mm. and uh as soon as cass hears the name bix and and learns that bix has been trying to contact him that's all that he's concerned about emo is uh I call him Emo. They call him B. I think it's B2 Emo is the full name. Is that how we're pronouncing that? Is 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 that a joke? B could he's, he be He's being too he's being could he's he's being too emo? Could he be more? <laughs> could he be more emo? Could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> it should have been should have been more, but it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Be too long. Um he Emo really reminds me of uh, it, it dawned on me after we recorded the last one. He really reminds me of the the design of the droids from the other, from the Disney movie, the the black hole. Um, good show, yeah. It, there's there's something really, uh, but the kind of way his eyes are popping up from a a lid out yeah. of the main body unit. There's something really black hole about that, which is. Black Hole is a really dark, mm. weird Disney movie. Yeah. Um, uh, did it? I, I can't. My memory is really vague of Black Hole. Super but vague. Did for it me. turn out that the droids in Black Hole they were like former crew members of the ship that had somehow been kind of imprisoned in droid form or something? Oh my god! I'm sure, it's something like that. It's really kind of like makes me want to go watch it. <laughs> yeah. I think that is one that you should we should revisit. We should do for the show. All right. Well, maybe like maybe between like you know 
But what we could do uh, here, here we are like very interesting for listeners to uh, try and decide what we're going to do on our podcast. But you know, <laughs> anybody that actually wants to listen to this probably is a bit interested in process in general, right? So we'll, we'll use that as our excuse, but we could, we could sort of go through like a, a current series. And then when we've got like a break in between, we could like dig out an old movie to review. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a little palate cleanser, a little a little nostalgia. That'd be nice. So, uh, yeah, but again, just how good uh, Star Wars is at creating consistently these these bots, these droids that they're all they're all different and they all have their own personalities, but they all kind of they're all kind of similar, and you just they're so endearing, you know, it, it, emos. He just seems so concerned and scared all the time, which is kind of like the way that R2 was as well, right? Um, R2, I think, R2 had a little bit, a bit more... of a know-it-all. Yeah, R2 had a bit more chutzpah, right? But, you know, this guy just yeah. seems really scared and concerned all the time. <laughs> and I just want to adopt him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like, uh, Dio, is it Dio in the Rise of Skywalker is kind of also... They're very similar in that Dio's kind of... He was owned by a, a Sith or somebody, I think. Or maybe. And so he's kind of a bit messed up and nervous and and timid. And so very similar kind of vibe. He, Dio just kind of repeats the same sort of phrases and things again and again. Has very limited vocabulary. Whereas Emo's got a bit more about him, but they're quite similar in that kind of nervous endearing yeah you want to adopt them kind of yeah, thing. they all have that quality but yeah emo does seem very quite advanced like quite an advanced ai really he, he seems like he can you know he's what? got a bit of character he's got a bit of character he? he's almost a bit sarcastic sometimes when he says like oh I could, can i speak now or something like that yeah yeah, he's more more sort of yeah. human personality, I suppose, than than some of the other the other examples. So he's an interesting one. I, I'm really enjoying him as a little character as well. Really well voiced as well. Um, it's sort of like because he sounds like a robot, but he also there's something like really human in the voice as well, which is a very hard thing to do. <laughs> I don't even know. It's just so good. Um, B's a bit short on power. There seems to be a bit of a, a running theme with him as well. He seems like he's he's like my MacBook now. It's like if he's not plugged in, he's probably going to die after five minutes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what a sad thought. <laughs> it's terrifying. They should do that. They should have him trailing around with a cable behind him all the time. <laughs> not like a battery pack, like a tail. <laughs> See. This is why they should get us involved in the writers' room, Pete. It's these ideas. <laughs> can't, can't believe I haven't been employed. <laughs> so, B's uh, a bit short on power, but Mom is is asking what uh, Cass has done. She wants to know what he's done, and all he says is that you know he's messed up big time, basically. Well, she's extremely worried that he's mentioned to people that he's from Canary because they've told everyone else that he's from somewhere else haven't they I can't remember 
what the name of the Fest. planet where it's... I believe it's Fest, which sounds like a really either Fest. either like a really nasty or a really fun planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, is it is it a fest. fun fest or when is it, it like a festering? <laughs> Who knows? But obviously, you want to tell people you're from there, so it can't be that bad. It's got to be better than Canary. But she, yeah, she is really concerned about this, eh? Like um, that people know that he's from Canary. So this clearly is something that's gonna be expanded upon later. Um, um, I believe that she, uh, maybe it's a spoiler, but I believe that she's his adoptive mother, which would make sense because there didn't seem to be a whole lot of humans around as we've already discussed on Canary. They all fucked off when, when the spice was dried up. Um, but yeah, she's not happy and, and she kind of starts listing off all his girlfriends and she's like, ah, you told this one and that one. He's like, I don't, yeah, I tell people I get drunk. I tell people where I'm from all the time. She's like, God damn it, Kaz. So clearly that is an issue. And uh, something that I'm sure we'll circle back on later. So Cass goes to meet uh, Bix at the bar. Uh, he fesses up about topping the two Empire schleps on Morlana the best. Morlana won. And uh, <laughs> she says, you know, she can't quit him. So she's basically arranged for her buddy to come and purchase his gizmo, uh, which is what he'd asked her to do in episode one. And we have a, a Tim lurking in the shadows, uh, very st- stereotypical Scotsman here as he's he's just swigging scotch. Uh, but it clearly is... A- he wipes the back of his mouth with his hand, which is, as everybody knows, that is the universal sign that I'm pissed and I'm going to cause some shit now. I'm um, sloppy. I'm drunk. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shit's going to go I'm going to do down. something I'm going to regret. Yeah. We've all been um, there. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely lurking, isn't he? And, and uh, you know, Cass kind of touches Bix's hand, you know, just to say thank you. I, you know, I really appreciate it. She gives him the brush off, but... Is it... Does he, he does he see them together? He sees them together. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he sees them together, and and then the next bit is him walking through the back streets, and he goes to the payphone. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. Star Wars has payphones, <laughs> which is I think is great. We're getting back to that that retro future thing. Yeah, Star Wars turns out it's got payphones, and I love the alien at the end in the in the booth at the end who sort of gives him the side eye yeah. as he goes in. Yeah, he's. Um, just those little touches misses or whatever yeah it's nice but yeah it's funny and it reminded me of what what we said in the first episode which is you know uh, uh, Cass left his cell phone at home when he went to the brothel but it's like maybe cell phones aren't common because you know Tim has to go and use a payphone. <laughs> we you saw can't, you can't get the service you can't get coverage there must be something in the atmosphere around galaxy. that. Ferrix. <laughs> Cell towers are useless. Well, maybe it's an empire thing too. Maybe you might, you might say it's the it's the atmospherics. Oh. I'm gonna have to find like a drum cymbal crash drop, <laughs> clearly. 
I, I am a father of four. It is in my job description. I'm sorry. I think I have to drop the occasional stinker. You're you're, you're an actual dad, whereas I'm childless, <laughs> and yet dad jokes all day long. And and my yeah, wife we, has heard we traded in those long before I had kids. <laughs> my wife has heard every single one of them so many times now that like it's it's just eye roll central. I I don't think it's even eye roll anymore. It's just dead pattern no reaction whatsoever so it's it's always nice when i get out in the in public and drop one of my classics on someone but on their virgin ears it's actually kind of funny (laughs) anyway origami unicorn dad jokes they do go hand in hand stick around i want to come back to the payphone thing again because actually as we were talking i was thinking maybe this is an empire thing maybe it's not easy to communicate. Maybe the payphones are sort of like monitored communications devices so that the Empire can, you know, Big Brother can keep watching you because we know that Bix had to go and climb up a cylinder at the back of a junkyard to use a satellite phone in the last episode to get a message out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think like intergalactic communication is tricky. you got to use a payphone. you got to use a landline. Yeah. Yeah, the signal would just be too weak on on the older LG. Yeah, so what that's and, called, and they can keep tabs on it. Yeah, it's it's good. They, uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody's happy. <laughs> um, it and uh, like maybe the only way to get on the snitch line is through the landline as well. Like it's uh they might be another way if you've got the. A radio with enough juice, but if you want to get through to the, the you know, the real hard nuts, you got to use the snitch line. Makes sense to me. So um, <laughs> I feel like I'm feel like I'm not making much sense, there, but okay. No, I didn't understand a word of it, but yeah, we'll, I'll smile and nod. We'll carry on. That's what we do. So he uses the payphone. He's he's calling in a tip to the feds clearly and instantly. Uh, an image of a rather handsome uh, beardless Cass is projected in front of Cyril and his empire cronies. And uh, at the end of this scene too, we also see uh, the flat-haired lady from the brothel that Cass visited in episode one when he was quote-unquote looking for his sister. Um, She's being escorted in by uh, one of the military police here, so clearly the net is beginning to tighten on Cass here. And we get like a real kind of Cyril, uh, creepy, uh, nasty man eyes to sort of staring in the distance. He's kind of looking at the hologram of Cass with a kind of, I think the key trait of this character is that he's kind of creepily obsessive. And I can't wait to see where that goes. Like he is very obsessive. Mm. Um, and the way he looks at Andor is with a kind of almost sexual fervor, which is a bit weird. I'm not implying that that's the way that it's going, but it, it's it's a certainly a weird fascination that he's got to he's got to get this guy. There's something about there's something about the glove rebel, isn't there? That uh, you know, because Tim, in many respects, is kind of obsessed with him. Really, mm. you know, Cyril is clearly obsessed with him. Interesting. He just has that effect on people. Bix, in her own way, is obsessed with him, right? She can't quit him. Mm-hmm. 
So, anyway, Tim, uh, Tim, after doing his deed, uh, he's home and he gets a surprise visit from Bix. Uh, didn't see that coming. So he's still on the scotch, uh, but uh, if there's if there's a surefire cure for whiskey dick, Pete, then <laughs> Adria, Adria Ahona, <laughs> I'm butchering her name again, has to be it. Yeah, I in my notes, I mean, my notes are peppered for this episode with, oh, Tim, what have you done? Um, but here I've written sexy Star Wars and two exclamation marks. So that gives you some idea of how excited I was at this point. Um, two, two exclamation marks. Um, I have an interrobang in my notes. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's an interrobang. Is that a question mark and yeah, an exclamation? Which mark? I, which I think, okay. you know, is a thing at this point. That you know, a, a, a question mark on its own and, a, and an exclamation mark on its own. We are writers, everybody. Just, just so you know, uh, can express what an interrobang expresses. An interrobang is what Bix has just turned up at, at Tim's for, isn't it? I, my my interrobang was after uh, I said Tim seems to be having some regrets now about shopping cast possibly I I feel and then I said fist biting interrobang <laughs> <laughs> they may have got up to that I don't no. know. it kind of cuts away but, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't, it wasn't I don't think they have like a fist fetish Pete I think I think that his his gloves are off anything goes oh god. <laughs> bringing gloves back in this is like again inception level dad jokes i think i um, think he's like oh this, shit. The, can i just say that the reason like it's grown that we talked about andor being grown up and and all that kind of stuff and, and a bit more adult Hard. and it's not the kind of show that i can i feel like i can watch with my kids yeah. um i don't think they would they wouldn't go for a sexy booty call but, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're a middle-aged man. <laughs> so, yeah, I was into it. And uh, Tim, he kind of pauses at the door. So he's having, he's, he's obviously, I, f- I feel like he's having some bad feelings about what he's done now. It's like, fuck out. Only because he knows he knows how it's going to end when she finds out. Yeah, he's like, uh, this, is, this is all temporary now because I basically pressed the self-destruct button. Mm-hmm. So enter uh, in the next scene, Sergeant Linus Musk, uh, another Scot. Yes. <laughs> um, judging by his physique, a little bit more into beer than than whiskey. A uh, little, little <laughs> bit of a belly going. Gravel of voice oh, and brown of nose. <laughs> Gravel of voice and brown of nose. I described him as. He's, he's another company man, Pete, played by Alex Ferns, yep. who. That's rose to yeah. fame as Britain's most hated soap villain Trevor Morgan in East Enders <laughs> in the early two thousands. Yeah, there's a bit of an East Enders vibe going on in this episode, actually, um, with a, with another actor that crops up later on in the story as well. But yeah, Alex Phones having a bit of a moment as well, because he was in he was the um, the commissioner in the Batman. Which is probably my favourite movie. As you know, I am a massive Batman fan. 
um, my favorite movie of the of the past year. Uh, I love the Batman, and he was really good in the Batman as uh, Pete Savage, the commissioner before Jim Gordon gets to be commissioner, and he actually gets to drop the f bomb in uh, a Batman movie, which is very rare. I'm not sure I like it, but um, my, my brother-in-law was talking about taking his little boy to see the Batman, which I'm not sure was the best parenting choice because <laughs> Batman movies seem to be getting progressively darker yeah, this and one is more very intense dark, and stuff. But he, he took his little boy to see um, to see the Batman, and within you know the first, I don't, I'm not sure it's 15, 20 minutes into the movie, and. Uh, he drops the f bomb. He drops the f bomb. He says something like "Happy fucking Halloween" or something. <laughs> and my brother-in-law said he looked. He looked at. It, he looked at his son, and his son went, "This is the best movie ever." <laughs> <laughs> in the cinema, which I thought was great. So, uh, so Alex Burns is playing this kind of he's Sergeant Linus Musk, who is like, um, uh, he's got a face that fits. I wrote. The, we talked last time about how the faces in this TV show just really kind of complement the Star Wars. If if we're doing retro 70s Dutch furniture as space tech, then kind of 70s looking British actors are space people. Yeah, no, I, I agree. and I, I've lost my train of thought. No, there, no, but... I'm with you, I'm with you. And, and even like down to like the hairstyles and stuff, like I feel like, you know, there's a consistency there. He's, he's so gruff and, and kind of exudes this kind of, um, there's, there's a bit of evil that he's exuding. Um, and there's a guy from one of the Star Wars movies. I can't remember which one, one of the original trilogy. And his name is, uh, the actor's name is Don Henderson. And like when you see him, if you grew up in the UK in the 80s, he was all over, all over TV. He was in, he was in so many things. He was in like uh, Crossroads. I think he's in Red Dwarf. He's in one of the Red Dwarf episodes as a rogue simulant. Um, he was in, he cropped up in things like, he cropped up in things like Minder, uh, he plays General T- Tag, I think his name is, in Star Wars. And Alex Ferns just really reminded me of, of this guy. And it was really weird because Don Henderson was in so many things that it was really like a, a, a blast from the past. Don Henderson was in this uh, mini-series that I watched in the 80s called The Knights of God, which has... I don't know whether it traumatized a young me or what, but it has stayed with me. It was like this kind of, it was like a thriller TV show about um, these kind of fascists had taken over the UK and they were called the Knights of God. So there was a religious aspect to it as well. In fact, I'm pretty sure one of the other guys, like the lead guy who was the leader of the Knights of God, this cult, that had kind of fascist cult that had kind of taken over the UK. I'm sure he was another general in the Imperial Army in one of the Star Wars. I can't oh, have wow. to look him up and see what his name was as well. But um, it, it had the classic trope, Knights of God, of the hero who had infiltrated the Knights of God and appeared to have been brainwashed. And then turn, I think he turns or he gets turned at the end. 
I'd have to rewatch it. I don't know. I don't even know if it's available. Should anymore, we be adding but... this to our, our our list of retro reviews? Ah, uh, yeah. I, no, I don't know. Mm. I don't know whether you can get it. Oh, I don't I'll know whether you it. can get it. I but it was a mini series as well, so. Um, but he, but yeah, no, that guy. I had to go and Google. He gives serious Don Henderson. Yeah, yeah no, I, and I and I looked up like, yeah, it was he was a simulant trader in Red Dwarf because Red Dwarf is like, I just we grew up on Red Dwarf, right? And I remember that character very vividly. It was, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, and and I can see the similarities, uh, with with this fella. So I like I I just said um. It does a really good job of painting these kind of jumped up small man Nazis. These are not your 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 massive imperial general, like they're not high ranking dudes. These are the front line, borderline psychotic yeah. uh Nazi pricks with a bit of power yeah. who just wanna fuck people over and basically. C- Cyril, yeah. I mean middle management is is where madness resides isn't it and that's that's kind of where he is like he you know he's he's got these great designs well they 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 say he's an officer right so and and really musk musk is like uh that's his name right yeah linus musk he's really uh yeah. revving him up here and he's he's saying you know like he eggs him yeah, on yeah big time sure. he's he's kind of saying you know he drops a few cliches the best way to keep the blade sharp is to use it and all this stuff about, you know, saying that basically a stronger hand is needed, he says, with some of these, like, upstart planets. And, and Cyril, you can see Cyril, I think he might have come in his pants a little bit, actually, listening to this. <laughs> well, I, I, you know what it is? It's the line pockets of fermenting. Oof. It's the way he delivers the line pockets of fermenting must have been what sealed the deal for Cyril, because I've never heard that the word fermenting is awful, isn't it? It just sounds terrible, and and he says it a couple of fermenting pockets of fermenting. It's almost rude. He um, it kind of plays into this idea of this this bubbling undercurrent of rebellion, though, doesn't it? Which is kind of what the whole thing's about. There's a really weird dynamic going on on that um transport ship because you've got the lower ranking hard nuts who absolutely despise Cyril for being middle management. Um, you've got um, Mosk, who's egging him on, probably because he's going to help him expand his uh, his remit and, and do some more damage than he would normally be able to do. Um, but then I, I think I'm skipping ahead. I think I'm skipping ahead, but Cyril delivers a speech to the subordinates aboard that ship. And he says, he finishes off with the risk of doing nothing becomes the greatest risk of all, which struck me as kind of odd and really more applies to the rebellion. And that has got me wondering whether we're going to see a turnaround for Cyril or not. I thought he was going to be a high ranking. I thought he was going to be a climber. He's, he comes off like a kind of, uh, you know, corporate ladder climbing douche. But but that, the way he delivered that speech, I mean, that is, it feels to me like that is the ethos of the show. 
It's about you've got to do something to rebel against the awful stuff that's It's happening. kind of remaining silent yeah. in times of great moral turmoil. You know, I've I've butchered that that saying, but you know the one. The the uh, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral or silent in times of great moral turmoil or something along those lines. All it takes for evil to thrive is for good men to do nothing. Mm. Is a quote that comes up on our uh, intranet at school quite a lot. That's uh, <laughs> that the empire. What's going on at your topic. school? <laughs> well, I use it with the kids. Oh, it's your fault. Oh, yeah, that makes every bit of sense. Because I, I point it out to the kids and I say, look, somebody's doing the wrong thing and you don't do anything. You're culpable. Then we cut to Cassie's rooting around, uh, trying to dig out this valuable gizmo. So I, I'm I'm a little bit anti-research. I don't really want to do too much research because I don't like being too informed. It's just the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> What, what a weird thing to admit. <laughs> I kind of, kind of like being ignorant. <laughs> not, knowledge, it's not really something. It's not, it's not something I go in for. <laughs> I think ignorance is bliss. You know, like people, the more you know and all that, you know. Well, I think my mum, uh, it's, it's the first time my mum's come into this podcast, but she's going to make more appearances, I guarantee it, because you know what a character my mother is. And I love your mum. Almost as much as I love my own mum. <laughs> the mumisms, like, over the years, I've had to sort of figure out how many of these little sayings that she has are, are hers, are, are Christine Mitten originals, and how many, you know, are just actual sayings. And it's amazing how many of them, like, they're not things. And growing up, I, I, I thought they were, because she'd say them all the time, like, they were common phrases. And now I'm realising she just made up a lot of her own material, and... Uh, Probably when I say these things to others, that's why they look so confused. <laughs> so anyway, the mumism uh, that I was looking for, I've got to think. Uh, oh, this might be, I don't know. Is this a common phrase you tell me? She'll say something along the lines of, uh, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. I've heard that. All right, so yeah, that's, that's not that. a mum original. That's a thing. That's a thing. No. So that's where I'm going with this. I like. I, I'm. I'm more. More specifically, talking about Star Wars because it's like, I'm not a Star Wars expert. I don't claim to be. This is a science fiction podcast. We happen to have started with a Star Wars show, and that's fine. Uh, there are people that are way more into it, obviously, than we are. Star Wars. Uh, you're pre- you're pretty into it, um, but the thing is, I'm never going to be. I'm never going to know enough about Star Wars, you know, to claim to be a master Jedi. So I'm not going to try. But I did do a little bit of research because uh, I was wondering what this cube was that's so valuable. So it's a uh, untraceable NS9 star path unit, which is a navigation system used by spaceships in Star Wars. And what's truly special about this specific unit is that it can track every imperial coordinate for nine parsecs. What does it mean? What does this mean, Pete? Well, this means that uh, a spaceship... (laughs) I'm glad you started to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) A spaceship fitted with this untraceable NS9 Starpath unit, uh, that ship will be largely invisible to imperial radar and can slip by undetected by the Empire. 
uh, in addition, the NS9 Star Path unit allows its users to see the Imperial spaceships within a range of 9 parsecs, which is pretty far in the world of Star Wars, and handy for those who are trying to avoid bumping in to the Imperial Army. So that's why it's valuable. Hmm. And that's why he wants to sell it, so he can get some money to get out of Dodge. And then, Pete, it's time for the entry of, am I saying this right? Luthen Rail? Luthen Rail? Luthen Rail. Luthen Rail. How do you say that? Yeah. I'm not sure about his surname. I didn't, I didn't write his surname down. Just Luthen. Luthen. We'll go with Luthen. Just Luthen to me. We're on first name terms. Portrayed by Stellan Starsgaard? Yes. I know you want to talk about this guy. Oh. I mean, like I talked before about Fiona Shaw and how stacked the cast is. You've got Fiona Shaw cropping up. It kind of unexpectedly Fiona Shaw cropping up in this. Um, Stellan Skarsgård gets the Hollywood treatment. Um, they really... They don't show his face. They do that sort of Hollywood reveal. Something that Hollywood has been a bit crap at recently, I reckon that you would always get those kind of intros with Indiana Jones or the new James Bond, like um, um, Skyfall was really good with that kind of intro. I think he's in the kind of, he's in like a kind of half light and you see his eyes and stuff. And it was just that slow reveal, really making you want to see who it is and really making you interested in that person. And Hollywood... Old Hollywood does better. And when I say old Hollywood, I mean like from when we were growing up. And it seems to to be a little bit lacking these days. Like, I, I feel as though the pace of movies maybe is influencing that a little bit. But also, kind of, there's a... a, a it, it was done quite masterfully in Andor that kind of reveal of the character and uh he he walks up a hill he, he lands on the planet he lands on ferrix he walks up a hill and um without meaning to get too wanky um it's referencing a picture called wanderer above the sea of fog by casper david friedrich which was it's like a very famous painting of you probably know it. it's like a guy with a walking stick standing on top of a mountain looking down on some fog um it's like a a, oh. a romantic on some painting. fog uh looking on looking down yeah. on some fog like a sea mm. of fog um and i guess the the theme of the painting if you're getting into kind of art critique which is, is what we're here to uh, do it's cr- well, if nothing yeah. else um <laughs> is um like kind of introspection so he's looking out he's contemplating what's inside and also the path ahead and like what an intro to a character i mean how do you get stalin skarsgård interested although i mean he's been in marvel movies and stuff how do you get him interested in being in the star wars movie you give him a a a corker of a role to play um and i and I think this is a good role. He can only be like a, like an epic character. Like, do you think that's a hard sell for a guy like 
uh, like him, like Star Wars at this point. Yeah, it, I suppose he needs some assurances about what the role is and what the character is. But I wouldn't, uh, like, maybe like 10, 20 years ago, I could see like, uh, you know, like a real kind of established, almost iconic actor kind of being a bit dubious about doing anything that was science fiction. But where we are now, I, I think I feel like like a lot of actors are, might be even clamoring to, to be involved in Star Wars at this point. I think it depends. I think it depends. Like, if you look at the reception to The Last Jedi, which um, was very polarizing for the Star Wars fan base, and um, it, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, I think. And I think you'd need some kind of reassurance that there'd be he doesn't have to take the job he's still in Skarsgård he doesn't have to take the job there has to be something that's going to appeal to him there's going to have to be something that appeals to him from an actor's point of view that he can really get his teeth in and I, I can imagine Fiona Shaw feeling the same way to be honest although she's not probably earning she's not been earning as much as uh, Stellan Skarsgård has she's not appeared in so many blockbusters and things as Stellan Skarsgård has but um, you know you, you want the artistic integrity to be there as well I would imagine um, you, you want to get your teeth into a good role um, you want to make sure that you're in something that's that's quality I guess and 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 that's not and that's not gonna if if you're in something that's not quality, of this size, then it can be career end like it it can be, I don't know about career ending, but it can be very bad for your career, right? It can be very bad for your your social media presence and, <laughs> and your personal yeah, life and especially stuff. with like Star Wars fans, you know, can be pretty fervent, right? So yeah, yeah, no, no, for the good points in it, and you know. Um, he definitely he definitely gets the the iconic treatment and you know uh yeah really cool scene where where he's kind of flying towards the planet and yes we're in behind him uh, a lot of gravitas to this to the point where I'm actually considering Pete I might start entering rooms backwards uh, you know and then slowly <laughs> slowly pan around for the reveal I feel like people are gonna be like whoa isn't that that. I've I've read I've seen somebody talking about that. I think it might have been like a Is that a uh, thing? So somebody no, some not walking into rooms backwards, that's, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. <laughs> but but like somebody talking about uh it was a famous actor, somebody like a, a an old school famous actor who worked with a younger famous actor. I'm thinking like Paul Newman with Tom mm. Cruise in The Colour of Money or Jack Nicholson with somebody else. And they said that the one thing they taught them was that when when the camera's on you and somebody's talking off to the side of you, you don't just turn your head. You it, it, It's a slow turn. Or do they turn their eyes first or they don't turn their eyes until the last minute and then they turn their eyes because the camera has to stay on you that whole time. So it's kind of like those those kind of tricks. So don't walk into rooms backwards. Just really be really irritating when anybody talks oh, well, to you. Oh, I've been I've been doing slowly, that for years. 
<laughs> slowly respond with a, a wry grin. Just, yeah, just take your time. How many pasties was that, love? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> uh, three, please. <laughs> just being, being slow in general. <laughs> your, your saying is going to make me seem impressive. I don't know. Um, I I think like this is like Barack Obama. Like we're getting on. This is tangents within tangents again. Didn't Barack Obama have a thing where he would like he just kind of pause. He wouldn't answer you right away, right? And it's that it's that moment of like I'm considering what you've said, and I'll think before I speak. And that's actually not a bad. Uh, it's not a bad tip. Uh, thinking before you speak. <laughs> So uh, let's uh, let's press on. We've got we've got Luthen. I th- I thought it was cool that he kind of asked his ship. He's like, "Is this the closest we can get, really?" And the ship's like, "If you want to be safe, it is." So he has to land, and yeah, he has his Moses on the hill moment. But the reality is, he he's gonna be brought down to earth pretty quick because he's gonna have to catch the bus into town, Pete. It's the only way. He <laughs> he does, he does. He catches the space. He bus. catches the space bus, uh, which I thought was great. That's all. Is that? Well, let's come. Let's come back to that though, because first we have to. It's dawn, and we get our our second blast of the the bellman, of the time grappler. Neil. Neil. I like. I'm just going to call Neil. him Neil. All right. <laughs> His name's Neil. Oh, Bell. Neil Bell, Mr. <laughs> Bell. So, Mr. Bell, the bellman, uh, is he does the same. It's the same. I think little dance. It's kind of he does kind of this. Picks up the, uh, the hammers and he kind of does like a, cruci- Jesus on the cruci- on the cross kind of thing, and kind of takes a big breath. It's not very serious, and then he goes to work uh, hammering out. Uh, and this this bell appears to be everybody's alarm clock uh, in the town as well. Nobody sets an alarm because you just go off the bellman is what I'm getting. Because uh, Bix kind of wakes up uh, to the tune of the bell, to the sound of the bell. So, yes, the bellman wakes up Bix, or it seems that way anyway, and we've got Tim sitting in the corner doing his stalk a bit. He's kind of watching her sleep at this point, it seems like. Um, still chewing on his fist. You know, she's really got him wrapped around her, her finger, doesn't she? And she's like, yeah, you can open up the yard. I've got to run some errands this morning. Uh, you know, she, she, she pretty much gets her way with, with Tim and he has, does never like to stand on. He's, he's just waiting for this whole thing to, this whole house of cars to come tumbling down, isn't he, at this point? I think you're a bit hard on, on Bix. But, but I think she's a bit, um, maybe a bit naive in thinking that she can, she can do that with, with Tim. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not mean any harm to Tim, I don't think, but it's a bit, it's a she bit cares thoughtless. about him on some level. I do, th- I do believe. Yeah. Yeah, but she is using him, isn't she? Is this just my is this just my bad high school Tim, relationship that Tim? like that scarred me? Uh, yeah, I'm wor- I'm wondering. I'm I think wondering. That might be what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Projecting. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We can work through it. It's, this, this could, could be, be a whole well. other podcast. I, th- I think it's only the two of us listening, yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> probably only ever will be. So this kind of is our therapy in many respects. <laughs> Um, uh, we, we see, uh, Cass, uh, and B, uh, 
uh, for a moment. Uh, B is in full emo mode. He's very sad that Cass is going to have to leave. They kind of have this back and forth. Um, something that I picked up on here, Pete, maybe you can uh, shed some light on this. B wants to know where Cass is hiding Marva's credits. Marva is, is the mom. Uh, and he won't tell him. Is that a little smoking gun for later or is that just an incidental thing? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't pick up on that. So I, I only picked up the I second watchthrough because I usually do like a watch. I just watch it, you know, the whole thing, so I can just enjoy the show. And I go back and pause and take notes, and I was like, "Did I catch that?" And that, yeah, he says something about she. He's hiding, hidden some Marva's credits, and you should tell, you should tell him where where they're hidden. And he's like, "No, I'm not going to tell you." Basically, because. The more people that know, the more de- more chance you know of it going missing. I suppose was sort of the point. So I don't know. This is some reference to some stashed cash. Um, we'll see. We'll see if that comes up again. Um, Marva, he, he says he says basically go go back before uh, before you missed uh, to mom, uh, and uh, Marva is indeed looking for B. But instead of finding B, she wanders into Cass's room and she picks up his uh, his Lost Boy stick, which we actually come to find out, as you as you referenced earlier, Pete, is, is a pea shooter, isn't it? It's actually a, a blowpipe. Uh, and we find that out in the next scene because we're back on Canary. Uh, no sign of Jeff Bezos, uh, but we, we do have these... Uh, we do have a few spacemen. These are those kind of jaundiced-looking guys that you mentioned earlier. We're not sure if they've been poisoned by the planet or what's going on, but they don't look very well. Two of them, in fact, are very unwell. They're dead. Uh, one of them is very much alive. What did you make? <laughs> it's very unwell. That is I very mean, it unwell. doesn't get much more. <laughs> That's about as unwell really? as it gets. <laughs> um, what did you make of this? this I, I feel like this whole thing is a bit of a a cast you know boy becomes man isn't it like from venturing out of the camp and through the forest to the to the to the mine site uh you know to being invited along on the expedition um but also because he really bottles it here because the lead girl the the girl who's kind of the leader of this uh this clan sort of goes down to investigate and this spaceman with his blaster creeps up behind her and Cass clocks this, but doesn't say anything, doesn't move. He's kind of like the, he's kind of like the deer in the headlights. And I feel like that this is sort of a moment because obviously it costs her, her life. She's shot in the back by this guy. And then we, we kind of launch into that scene that you referenced earlier, Pete, but the kind of Pulp Fiction book cover where, He's blasting at them. They're blowing darts at him. They eventually take him down. But it seems to be a bit of a coming of age moment for Cass. Like he has this kind of determined eyes to the distance when it all wraps up. Uh, did you read this the same way as me? Is this this kind of Cass like... Does it come back to what you were saying about inaction? What we were saying about neutrality and times of great turmoil? Uh this thematic he didn't do anything and she died 
and I feel like that maybe is like that that moment uh and maybe maybe it kind of falls into this this sort of thematic that's going on yeah for sure yeah that's great yeah I guess I I mean that close-up of him at the end is him turning with resolution that he is going to take action um and so yeah yeah I hadn't made the link maybe subliminally but uh yeah it makes perfect sense I think I made the link about halfway through the sentence there so don't be too hard on yourself (laughs) Well, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. No, I, I, it's a yeah, for sure. It's a coming of age moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's where it's the moment that he decides that he's not going to be the guy that doesn't act in the in the future. I, I think a large part of it as well is going to be that it's not easy to make those choices, and I think that's going to be a theme going forward. So we get next, basically, Cass rolling up to the taxi rank. I think. This guy's name is Zan, uh, if I heard that right. Uh, and he's basically, because he was denied uh, the ship by uh, Randy Quaid. In... <laughs> That's... No one's going to understand what I'm talking about. Um, by the guy with the pilot sat in the last episode. Um, he's trying to find a way off the, the planet, so he's gone to the taxi rank. Uh, they do a little bit of bartering. There's a fun little character here too. There's sort of a background thing going on here, I think, where this this little partner of, of the, the head of the taxi rank guy, they're kind of having this back and forth. And I feel like that was about the bulletin about the wanted canary man, possibly, because he's kind of shrugging him off and saying, like, yeah, shut up about it now, shut up about it. Um, I don't know if I read that right, but that's what it felt like. And then, you know... Uh, Cass is basically barters with him and he says yeah I'll take you off the planet for 700 credits uh, be ready in an hour kind of thing but I also wondered there's kind of a look on Zan's face at, at the end of that exchange where I'm kind of like is he putting two and two together and is he sort of saying thinking to himself I like Cass could be the guy and maybe I'm going to shop him Did, am I reaching with that I don't know Yeah, maybe I like I can see where you're coming from. I, it felt to me like a bit of backstory that they're kind of filling in. I, this is where the where I picked up the bit about it being everyone dead or is toxic. Um, it, it felt like a bit more of a information drip mm. about Canari rather than m- maybe than insinuating that. that I I didn't get the that he was going to... I didn't get a Tim vibe from Zan. <laughs> he's not a, he's not a Zan. <laughs> so... <laughs> no, he's actually as I think he's a Zan man. I think it's... I think it's X-A-N-W-A-N. Oh, it's an X. Of course it's an X. Um, so, yeah, we, we cut now to the Empire troops getting ready to go snatch Cass. So we, we did talk about this scene earlier. This is where we get the rousing speech from Mosk he, he warns them that Cass, uh, sorry, yeah, Cass might not look like much, but he's a very dangerous man. He killed two of our our people. Um, that clear respect here for for Musk, you know, he's he's like the warehouse manager, right? Uh, and versus uh, <laughs> Cyril's like guy from upstairs in the suit, basically. So you know, he uh, they 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 have this clear respect for Musk. Um, they think Cyril's a douche. Uh, 
so you know Musk Musk's speech is really kind of rousing, and then Cyril tries to follow it. You know Musk kind of gives him the punch on the arm kind of thing, but he doesn't really nail it, does he? He doesn't really land it, and uh, you know. But for Musk initiating the limp round of applause, there would have been no applause. <laughs> There's a couple of like eye rolls. It's it's really fun actually. These guys are like not buying yeah. Cyril as a leader whatsoever. Yeah, the warehouse analogy nails it perfectly for me. <laughs> so the next scene, Pete, is is uh, Luthen on the bus. Luthen on the bus, and uh, this bus is, is when we say bus, I should clarify, it's it's a spaceship of sorts, like it's or like more like an aeroplane, I suppose. It flies people over the wasteland to the city, is what I understood. So, you know, it, it's a bus. It's yeah, it's like flying from Manchester to London, right? It's it's kind of that domestic flight situation, yeah. but it looks a bit more like a bus. It's even got like the hand little loops to to, to hang on to. <laughs> It's a shuttle bus. That's why they pay him the big bucks. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's perfect, actually. That, that, even even <laughs> bad pottery aside, it's uh, that's really what it is. It's the park and ride, isn't it? It's, it's the park and ride, and this is a fun scene, actually. The uh, there's a couple of I think the Karen or Quarren, the Squidhead dudes sitting on the back seats. So they must be the cool kids, I, I'm figuring, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's how bus hierarchy works. Um, I, I, I actually missed Did you that. miss them? So that's testament to, so that's testament to how, um, how like, you know, you know, we talked about them not drawing attention to it and stuff. I, like, I, yeah, I miss them. I think I was surprised to see that there's another passenger on the bus um uh whose name his name apparently is Willie. It looks like a Willie. Um, I... <laughs> um and he's played by Ron Cook, who is like another British actor who's been in so many things. Um Hot Fuzz, uh Kingsman, he was in The Witcher. Um so I, I think he was in, I'm pretty sure he was in EastEnders. <laughs> he, he's got sure that he look. Like he, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was pleased to see him. He gets, he gets quite a nice little um, character, sort of side character, almost something sort of Shakespearean side character about him, kind of Shakespearean or Canterbury Tales kind of character. It's a really fun exchange, right? Because... You've got you've just set up Luthen as this like grand sort of epic character, and all of a sudden he's on the bus and he's just getting bothered by this this guy who's like moaning about how much they charge for the park and ride and saying back in our day you could just drive across the wasteland and he has a great line he's like uh, yeah uh, he says uh, you, yeah you drive you drive over the wasteland but you taste it a week later which I thought it was just such a I was like, oh yeah, I know. Like, I'm not sure what's going on in that wasteland, but mm, I could taste it, you know. <laughs> um, but it's really fun. Yeah, it's one of those scenes where you kind of. I've seen other. I can't think of any examples right now, but other movies and TV shows where you kind of take that sort of very uh, grand character and put them in like a very everyday situation with everyday people. Oh man, 
I know there's other examples of this, uh, but it works really well. It's it's quite a clever writing trick to make you. It it weirdly creates empathy for for Luthen, even though he does he says hardly anything. It, the fact that he's experiencing this other side character, I it's it's a it's a clever writing trick. I think. Yeah, and Stellan Stellan Starsguard. Am I saying that right? He mm-hmm. he does so much with so little in this episode. That's one of the things I wrote down, right? And that's when you get a great actor like that. It's just so much presence. It's like I finished the episode thinking that he was in it way more than he actually was. <laughs> and when I watched it back, I was like, wow, he was barely in it at all. So really excited to see more of him. Um, yeah, so fun little exchange here. Uh finishes with Willie saying, you know what they say about Ferrix, uh, if you can't find it here, it's not worth finding. And this gets a little chuckle out of Luthen. And we get a nice sort of like uh, drone view, uh, a view from the shuttle of the hodgepodge city uh, on Ferrix. And uh, then we cut to ground level, uh, really cool scene with Cass kind of jogging towards the camera um, between, uh, you know, uh, junk ships and you know the kind of sparks flying and he's he's coming towards the camera you know on his mission to meet Luthen uh and quite unaware uh that Cyril and Musk and the crew are en route to intercept him uh and then we cut to credits yeah i i, I really like that as like a sort of continuation of uh, Luthen's introduction. So, if he was, if he, if it was referencing that painting where he's looking out, and introspective about what he, what's going on inside him, but also the the path, the the path ahead, and then you've got Willie saying you'll never know what you're going to find on Ferrix, and then suddenly cut to Andor. It like that. I thought that was really nice. That's what he's going to find. Um, their destiny, you know, is entwined. Um, and a really cool, funky, modern, percussion-driven kind of version of the Andor theme as well, which it's just... It broadens the... Um, it, it broadens the, the palette of what's going on in the show, you know, broadens the palette of the, the overall franchise i guess yeah it's starting to feel like something now yeah and it's really kind of building Mm. isn't it like it all of a sudden you've got you've got sort of like the pursuers you've got him sort of trying to get out them trying to catch him before he gets out and you've got like this mysterious character kind of coming in and and it's kind of all these ingredients are coming together you know it's going to get explosive yeah i mean i'm loving it but i i can understand if people weren't persisting with it because the pace is a little on the leisurely side, it takes its time to do things like establish Luthen and all that kind of stuff. Um, I did write pace could be a little bit quicker. I felt like maybe what they revealed from Canary in this episode could have been condensed. I reckon. Yeah. Possible. But I like that. It's, I like that it's, it's roomy. It's got time to breathe. Yeah. I'm I, I didn't feel that way personally 
I am more inclined to things that are a little slower paced. I feel like there are examples of uh, shows that these days that, you know, you'll get an episode where you're like, yeah, what they did in two episodes, they could have easily done in one. Um, and I'm sure, you know, that, that, that the potential for that is there, but I think enough happened here for me to feel like it, you know, it progressed, you know, we, we, we've gone from introducing the characters now to really sort of building the tension. Uh, and I'm really kind of looking forward to, to episode three now. Like tears in rain. Yes, it's that time for our Batty's Tears Award for moment of the episode. Did you have a favourite moment from, uh, from Andor episode two? Peter, uh, I, that 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 two hander with Fiona Shaw, I think, is easy. Def- <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of two hander. Um, that the Fiona sons. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying to make it a thing. Bring that term. I'm trying to make it a thing. Um, it, you know, it could be a toss up for me. Could be the phone booths. Star Wars has phone booths. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be. The the um Luthan's introduction, the the wonder above the sea of fog reference. Um but I think I think it's gotta be Fiona. You've definitely be Fiona got a me. thing for, for Fiona, don't you? I she I just think she's really good. I think she's yeah. a really good. She actress. doesn't get a lot. Have you watched Killing have you watched I Killing haven't. Eve? No. No. I, like I do feel like it probably jumped the shark at some point, but the first season is is definitely worth okay. catching up with. We'll put it, we'll put it on the list. So the Fiona Sons is uh, the Fiona. I'm not saying it right. Fiona Sons is uh, is getting mm-hmm. the vote for Pete. I didn't want to go like the obvious place for me to go would be the, the Bellman. Like I I think definitely he's having the most fun in this episode. So much to like. It's so really hard not to mention it, at least, right? Um, but I'm giving it to I'm giving it to Luthen. I'm giving it to Starsguard. I, f- I felt like, you know, he had so few scenes, but really like stole the episode. Like it was the Luthen episode for me, despite everything else that went on. Um, you know, real shout out to the park and ride scene, and and you didn't notice the squid people at the back, but I rewound it a couple of times because they caught my eye. And actually, I wanted to give uh, one of these extras uh, a shout out because they sat at the back of the bus, these two squid people. And I don't know if it's something that was directed or if this extra just took it upon themselves. But one of them's kind of like casually tapping their foot. And it's just so funny. <laughs> like, just go back and have a look. It's like, he's having so much fun with this role, right? This person has probably come in and sat in her makeup for like six hours to sit at the back of a bus and, and be in a scene for all of three seconds, but really owning it. And I, I just really enjoyed that. But yeah, my uh, my moment of the episode goes to to Luthen, uh, that it felt hard sigh again. You know what I mean? It felt like villain. I don't even know if he's a villain, but, he, but he's this character, you know, he's, you know, me's business, you know? Uh, and that really kind of, yeah, really kind of captured my, uh, my hard sci-fi kind of like, uh, uh, leanings. So uh, I'm excited to see where 
where that goes and where that brilliant actor can take that that uh, that particular uh, uh, character. Okay, well that concludes Origami Unicorn episode two uh, and uh, our review of Andor episode two. Pete, as always, my friend, uh, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Thank you. <laughs> Franchise.